Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. I'm Billy Ambody. Thanks for joining me for SMU TCU Week. We've got a jam-packed show for you guys today. And I want to lead off with welcoming our guest to preview the game, looking at the TCU side of things. Melissa Trebwasser is joining us now on the State of Dallas podcast. Thanks for joining us, Melissa. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Billy. We've gotten to kind of do double duty today here. You previewed uh, SMU for me over on Frogs Insider, and I'm excited to join you on State of Dallas to talk about TCU. Hey, that's that's the beauty of the Dave Campbell's network right here, right? Uh, the, the Republic of Football podcast. You can check it out wherever you follow your podcast at. And for TCU, they opened the season in uh, that Colorado game, which didn't go TCU's way. A lot of people obviously – uh, seeing what uh, Coach Prime is doing there in Boulder. But let's go back to that first, because I think it sets the stage really well, at least to kind of get to know this TCU team. I was talking to a couple of people today and they were saying, you know, that's kind of a game one deal that you don't know what you're always going to get. It's a revamped TCU team. Colorado, obviously revamped. What yeah. were your takeaways from from that game a couple of weeks ago now? I think it was definitely disappointing. Um, you know, it, it was one of those games where you look at, and like you said, Colorado was playing with almost a completely clean slate. It was really hard to know what they were going to look like on offense or defense, what their players were going to look like, um, all playing together for really the first time. I mean, they had just a handful of guys that were on the roster a season ago when those two teams matched up in the opener in Boulder. And so, yeah, there was expected to be some growing pains. But I think what was really disappointing was just – kind of the lack of effort and energy that TCU played with Colorado came out like they wanted to win that game. Like that was a big game. Like it mattered. Um, TCU came out like they expected to win and Sonny Dyke said as much post game. And where you really saw that was on the defensive side of the ball uh, where there were something like 11 or 14 missed tackles um, that guys were just running freely open. There was a lot of miscommunication in the secondary, which felt almost inexcusable when you look at that secondary was all but one player played a season ago for TCU, including most of the backups. And so you thought that the veteran present on, presence on the back end would be able to hold up a little bit better, give a ton of credit to Shadur Sanders and Travis Hunter, who, I mean, just absolutely went off. Um, and, and Shadur was throwing just dimes all day, but often he, it was because he had seven seconds to throw and TCU's defenders had no idea where any wide receiver was running to. And so, um, just the effort energy level on that side of the ball was really bad. Offensively, it's really hard to complain when you put up something like 500 yards of offense, but it just didn't feel like a unit that was operating in sync. There was a lot of growing pains. Um, Chandler Morris making just his, I think, fourth career start in that game, despite the fact I'm pretty sure he's 30 at this point. Um, you, you, really, you really thought it'd be a little bit cleaner, but red zone struggles, some questionable play calls, and then the two interceptions basically in the end zone gave TCU fans some pause and some level of concern and made us remember, oh yeah, eight guys went to the NFL a season ago, including the Heisman runner-up and a first-round wide receiver and then a couple of running backs who are both on NFL rosters. So uh, I think we all just kind of expected things just to roll on and continue and to have another great season. There were TCU fans thinking, oh, the Frogs can start 12-0 and um, or at least 7-0. and And I think that was a reality check of, oh, wait a minute, there's a lot of new guys on this team too. It's not not just Colorado that raided the transfer portal and had to replace some, some pieces. It's TCU is looking with a lot of new faces in new places and a new offensive coordinator, um, which for Jared Wiley is the fifth offensive coordinator he's had in five seasons of college football. So those kind of things tend to add up a little bit. 
Yeah, it, it is one of those those things where, and last year TCU just had that magical run to a national championship mm-hmm. game. But going into that year, that was a team Sonny Dyke said, I think he said seven wins was kind of where they were aiming for. Yeah. Um, so yeah. maybe it, it just was the perfect run. And this year, maybe a little, not regression by any means, they're going to be one of the best teams in the Big 12, but they do have some things to work out. But over the last two weeks, they've been able to do that. They went down to Houston last week and beat a team that say what you want, kind of where Houston is and Dana Holgerson has that program, but to go on the road and not either look ahead or whatever, they were especially defensively on point. And I think the defense is something where coming from SMU's side, covering it, Rhett Lashley has a lot of respect for Joe Gillespie. And so what he does with that three down front that uh, really just has frustrated SMU in the past when he was at Tulsa or even, you know, here and there at TCU last year, What's that defense done to improve over the last couple of weeks in your eyes? And and is it one of those things where is is Houston not that good offensively? Or are, are, are how much can you take away from the last couple of weeks and and see what is a defense that has not allowed a touchdown in eight quarters now? Yeah, I mean Houston's bad. Like let's call it what it is. Houston is a very bad football team. <laughs> um, you know Dana Holgerson's seat is incredibly hot. I don't care how many Red Bulls he's got in the ice chest below it. Um, th- there is there are some real issues with the Cougars, and that's going to last all year. But like you mentioned, TCU has not given up an offensive touchdown in the last two games. And I think the biggest difference maker has been they've been able to generate some pressure from the front. And you talked about that three three five. It's something that TCU fans have kind of not really loved over the last two seasons and when you go from Gary Patterson and his patented 425 to a 335 it looks so different and and the whole scheme and game planning and and what you want the offense to be able to do against that is completely different philosophy it's been really hard for some of us old school TCU fans to kind of buy into but he he drew up a very vanilla game plan against Colorado and you can kind of understand why that might happen when you have so many question marks about what that team's going to look like but like I mentioned Shooter Sanders had all day to throw I mean I I was down on the field as a photographer. I'm pretty sure I could have run back, taken a handoff and thrown a double pass at one point. There was so like the pocket was just open for so long. And so what he's done, he's gotten a little bit more creative over the last two games. They've kind of uh, grown the game plan and developed the play calling to where they can generate some pressure from other places. We've seen Mark Perry play a little bit more up to the line of scrimmage. We've seen some more substituting um, at the linebacker core. Uh, Jamoy Hodge and Johnny Hodges really, really struggled, um, especially in that first game. Uh, Colorado's a terrible matchup for Johnny Hodges. Um, God bless the guy. He's one of the most disciplined football players you'll see. Tactically, he's, he's really brilliant. He's not the most fleet of foot. Um, and that really can hurt you against a team like Colorado that's all speed. But against uh, Houston, I think they, they team really understood their assignments, right? And I hate to, like, just drill it down to that. But Donovan Smith, not the best passing quarterback TCU's going to face all year, might be the worst. Um, and But they really held him in check in the run game, and they made life really difficult for him when he did drop back to pass. Hodges had a couple of sacks. I think they had um, uh, maybe seven sacks in that game, something like 14 quarterback hurries. And so they were, they were collapsing the pocket. They were making Donovan make quick decisions. That's not his strength. Um, and I think that was part of the reason they were able to be super successful. They gave up one big uh, passing play. Bud Clark got beat um, by Matthew Golden, which is not a surprising dude's an absolute stud. Um, but other than that, they were really able to kind of keep Houston working behind the chains, keep them in second long situations, corral the run game, including the quarterback run game, um, and, and just make sure that Donovan Smith never really had a chance to get comfortable. And I think that's been the biggest difference. Like any defense, when you can create pressure on the quarterback and make them make quick decisions, 
everything gets a lot easier for every other level of the defense. Um, they've been really good against the run. I mean, that hasn't been as much of an issue, but it's been getting to the quarterback that um, just evidently was the biggest problem in that Colorado game. And by week three started to look like a more complete unit and a, a group that could get down into the backfield. Um, Rick Dubrow has been a big part of that. Um, we've seen him really come on the last couple of games. Uh, so if they can continue to generate pressure, that's going to give them an opportunity to be successful against SMU this weekend. Yeah, SMU identified Johnny Hodges as a big key to that TCU defense, at least from their game planning perspective. What What is it about him that makes him so, like you said, disciplined and, and just his ability to really be where he needs to be? Because there's times where sometimes watching SMU's offense, you're wondering when are they going to scheme something up against some, mm-hmm. like a specific matchup? And I'm sure they do. But it sometimes like the air raid or the um, – Kendall Bryles, you know, does that to certain players and really puts them in tough situations. Is that one of those worries with some of these slots with like a Jake Bailey or Roger Daniels where he's going to have to be completely on it? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to get Johnny Hodges to have to cover a slot receiver, you're probably going to have a lot of success as an offense. I mean, that that's a dream scenario, especially against the speed that SMU is going to be able to roll out of those positions. And um, if you're able to let Johnny kind of focus on uh, you know, kind of taking away some of the shorter routes in the middle of the field, um, being able to, to blitz from the linebacker position or focus on the run game. He's super, super successful in that. But when he's had to be matched up in coverage or to cover a route that's, you know, more than six, eight yards deep, it's, it's, it's obviously a disadvantage for him. You know, it's, it's, his job is to, is to understand his assignments, understand his gaps and fill those gaps. It's part of that kind of spill and kill that Joe Gillespie runs. It looked really, really bad in week one and really, really bad at, at, the, at points last season. But as the players kind of grew and understood their roles, figuring out how to funnel people where you want them to be so you can swarm the ball and we saw that they gave up a ton of points against Michigan but when we saw this defense at its best where I didn't even mention the Georgia game we're not even going to talk about that but um but when it's at its best you can see that they're they're giving up yards they're kind of in that bend no break but they're funneling the ball in the direction where they want it to go so they can collapse on it and keep and keep the chains moving at a a relatively slow pace as opposed to giving up those explosive plays like you talked about earlier um you know Johnny I think is one of the most cerebral players on this team but he does have physical limitations and another thing that we've seen is we've seen guys like Shad Banks get more reps he's what he is probably the most athletic guy in the field I mean how many other teams have a six foot three 250 pounder returning kicks like that, that Shad Banks is that big and a linebacker and is returning kicks. He can also do a standing back tuck. I mean, he just, he's a freak, right? You want to get him on the field more. He's not as disciplined as Johnny, but what he can do physically is unbelievable. Um, we're seeing Marcel Brooks finally get back to health and being used situationally as more of a pin your ears back and be a pass rusher kind of guy. Um, and I think that's where TCU's strength is at the linebacker position is the depth. So you have the guys like Jamoy Hodge, who, who is just like a hard hitter. You have Johnny Hodges, who's just disciplined and, and kind of the captain of that defense. Then you've got a guy like Nandi Obiezar, who's a former safety, who's come down a level um, that, that is a little bit more athletic and gives you a little bit more speed at that position. But it's really about Joe starting to understand situationally when he needs to get guys on and off the field so that we don't get exploited in, on those big gains when you get a slot receiver matched up on a guy like Johnny Hodges in space. Like, that's just a bad matchup for TCU. If that's happening a lot Saturday morning, then SMU's probably getting what they want on the offensive side of the ball. The secondary losing what they did last year, but still having a guy like Josh Newton, who's a stud. What is the opposite corner side looking like though? Cause I know they kind of talked about a by committee approach a little bit more. Is that something that's still kind of being worked out a little bit? 
Well, I think I think Josh Newton uh, is learning that life without Travis Hodges Tomlinson looks a little bit different too. Uh, he was absolutely unbelievable a season ago and he's still you know inarguably PC's best corner but he got picked on in that Colorado game they were not afraid of him and they went right at him um and and he lost that battle quite a few times now in the couple weeks since I think that he's kind of gotten his technique back and he's gotten dialed in um you know over on the Frogs Insider show you talked about the competitiveness of a guy like Jordan Hudson I think that Josh Newton has that same kind of mindset as this is a guy who you're, you're going to beat him occasionally, but he's not going to let you beat him the same way the next time. And you can tell that he spent a lot of time in the film room, um, that he's really worked on refining that technique so that those kind of plays don't happen again. And he's been a lot better now, again, against an FCS opponent and against the worst throwing quarterback that PC's going to face this year. But um, I think his confidence is so important. And when Josh Newton is down, the entire team is going to follow because he is the emotional and vocal leader of that side of the ball. And one of the most important leaders for TCU as a football program as a whole. Um, across from him, you've got Avery Helm, who is like just a, another freakish athlete. He's a big body corner. He's got great size, great length. Um, he struggled in his first game. He doesn't have a ton of playing experience. He's another transfer um, uh, from uh, Florida, Florida, I think. Yep. yep. Um, and so, but, you know, and he, he played a little bit, but but wasn't expected to be a CB one or two like he is with TCU. It's taken him some time to get to that role, but I think he's absolutely improved. He looks a lot more comfortable in the system. And him and Josh Newton now are starting to kind of be able to do their jobs and, and execute their assignments. They'll have a much bigger test um, on Saturday with it with an excellent throwing quarterback and some really talented wide receivers. I can't wait to see Josh Newton manned up on Jordan Hudson a couple of times. I'm sure we'll get lots of that, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of trash talk going on between those two guys who both love to run their mouths a little bit, so that'll be fun. Um, but Avery Helms done a good job. We saw Channing Canada get some really nice reps against Houston as well. Uh, the depth there is really, really good, um, and, and for all of the accolades that Josh Newton got a season ago and deserved every single one of them, um, he had so many opportunities to be successful because teams were still willing to challenge Travis Hodges Tomlinson, um, the Thorpe Award winner, because of his size. And there were just opportunities where they're going to have that. Now they're really coming after Josh Newton. And I think at that first week, he was a little bit surprised, taken aback by that. But in the two weeks since, um, he's really stepped up to the challenge and he's looked a lot more comfortable and, and confident on that side of the ball. Um, so I, I think, I think he'll have a really good game on Saturday, but you're, you're going to complete some passes on him. I mean, it, the advantage is always in the wide receiver corner, you know, when it comes to those one-on-ones um, Newton wins a lot of them, but, but I have a feeling we'll see SMU get some break off some big plays as well. And to kind of wrap up a little bit here on, on the defense, what's that front line look like uh, for them and uh, Dominic Williams there and, and just kind of where are they at there? Because, if SMU can't run the ball and they're going to be one-dimensional, that's a huge issue. Their run game has kind of been hit or miss throughout the season, but for, from TCU's end, it looks like they've been able to stop the run pretty well. Yeah, TCU has been really, really good in the run game. Um, they were great against Colorado in the run game. It didn't matter because, you know, uh, Shooter Sanders threw for 727 yards and 14 touchdowns, I think was his final stats in that day. So they didn't need to run the ball. Um, but TCU has been super, super successful against the run so far this season. And I think a lot of that is because, again, you have a lot of new faces on this defensive front. You have a lot of really young guys. There's depth, but there's depth because everybody's the same and there's not really a standout. Uh, you mentioned Don Williams, who is one of my all-time favorite players. I mean, his first game a season ago, he started as a 17-year-old at Colorado. And for the first time um, in TCU history, we got to interview a true freshman. Gary would never, would never have allowed that. So um, he's a great kid, a great personality, um, and, and a great leader on that team. 
But now again, he's the focus. If you watch tape on TCU, he is double and triple teamed on almost every single snap because there's not really anybody else that's going to inspire fear um, in an offensive line. So you can double Dom and say, okay, someone else come get me. And, and, you know, for the most part, nobody's come and gotten anybody. So it's, it's been a little bit of a struggle. Um, Paul Oyewale is a guy who, who we were really excited about. He's young. He's a redshirt freshman, but he just looks the part. He's got that great size, that great length, and he is just super, super fast off the line. But he's really, really raw, and he's got a lot of work to do. I mean, this kid has not played a ton of football. I think he was kind of a, a, he was a late bloomer, um, a guy that wasn't really on the recruiting radar until his senior year. And, and I think he's acquitted himself nicely in these first three games, but you can tell he's got a lot to learn. Um, I think I mentioned Rick Debro a little bit earlier. I think he's one of the guys that can consistently be a pass rush presence for TCU and as he comes up and starts to be more effective in that part of the defense I think that will open up opportunities for Dom Williams um, but outside of him I mean the only real pressure is, is coming from that second and third level I mean you're, you're having to send linebackers you're having to send guys like Mark Perry out of the secondary um, you know Caleb Fox hasn't really gotten a whole lot done Marcus Steele is a true freshman that we we think can be a really really good player but he's a true freshman and so um it's been kind of pressure by committee you can run a lot of bodies out there you talked about that um you know with me when on the SMU side they're able to do it but they're able to do it with a pretty consistent level that's that's medium to high TCU right now is kind of in just that like medium level of talent and there there hasn't been a standout guy I think when TCU gets an edge rusher to really step up and and take on that role that'll be the difference in this being a team that can potentially compete to be in the big 12 championship game versus a team that's going to be competing to try to get to eight wins. Um, I, I think that's the biggest thing that's lacking on the defensive side of the bowl for the Horned Frogs right now. Offensively, SMU fans are very familiar with Chandler Morris, uh, the son of former SMU coach Chad Morris. He was recruited, uh, obviously, at SMU too, but now he's you know emerged as TCU starter. We all know the story from last year, which I'm sure was tough on him in a way um, to to you know go down against Colorado, and then Max goes on to have this magical season, but for him to take over now after all he's been through transferring and all those things, what have you thought of how he's, you know, taken charge of the offense and then what makes him the guy for TCU? I think the biggest thing that he presents that, that Max was never really going to offer is just a great accuracy. Um, the reason that, that Chandler won the job a season ago is because he can fit the ball in tight windows and those medium, um, you know, the short medium routes, those crossing routes and those, those places where accuracy really makes a difference between a play being, you know, an incompletion or a short gain or a longer game. And what gain, what TCU has is a lot of speed and a lot of athleticism at wide receiver. If you can get the ball in their hands and yards after the catch can be pretty, a pretty successful part of the way the, the team moves this ball on offense. Um, and we, we really saw him struggle with the deep ball though, the first couple of games, um, you know, he wasn't able to hit those kind of explosive plays. He wasn't able to get his receivers down the field. I don't think his receivers were running great routes either. Um, there was, I mean, Savion Williams spent more time yapping than he did making plays in the opener at Colorado. It was really disappointing for TCU fans. He missed game two um, with an illness. And then he came back in game three. He looked locked in. I think, I think the game two sit might've been as much, Hey, he needed a break and uh, Hey, we need to send this guy a message. This is your most experienced wide receiver and your biggest physical presence on and, and that unit. He needed to work a little bit harder and he got the message and had a, just an absolute beautiful touchdown 30 yard touchdown down the left sideline on a go route and Chandler dropped the ball in his bread basket just absolutely perfectly and so if Chandler is able to start kind of taking that accuracy to that next level and hitting those big plays down the field that's when you start to see the guy that put up over 500 yards to knock off an undefeated Baylor uh, that won the job a season ago out of fall camp 
because those are the types of things that he can do and, and do really well. I think that he initially was trying to take on that big leadership role that Max had. Um, and he's not the same guy. They're very different personalities. They're very different in their leadership style and they're received very differently by the team. And so I think what we're seeing him evolve into is just being comfortable with, with who he is and what his role is on the team and being authentic to, to himself and his leadership style. And, you know, I think that's also included what he brings on the field. Um, you know, he, he used his legs a lot more and very, very effectively in the Houston game. And it's kind of a catch 22 for TCU fans because you don't want him to get hurt because behind him, there's a whole lot of nothing. But at the same time, you know, you get in those second long situations and those third and medium situations, he's got to be able to move the chains with his feet. And he did an exceptional job of that Saturday night down in Houston. And that was a big reason that some of those bigger plays opened up. We're also starting to see him develop a good chemistry. Um, he's roommates with John Paul Richardson. I think most TCU people expect that that'll be your leading receiver this year. They've got a great chemistry, um, but he's also starting to learn how to kind of use his deep threats. Got the ball to Savion, like I mentioned. He had a beautiful, um, you know, 30-yarder uh, touchdown pass to Warren Thompson um, in the first half of that game as well. And he's he's looking for guys like Jack Besh and, and uh, Jared Wiley, who are just really, really tough matchups for defenses. And so he's more comfortable in Kendall Bryles' um, offensive system is the third you know he's been at TCU three years this is the third offensive coordinator he's had the third system he's had to learn and so that those things do take time um, and it also helps that he has Imani Bailey behind him who who kind of makes his job quite a bit easier with the start that, that Bailey has had to this year yeah I love Imani Bailey and and what he was able to do in high school is pretty unreal um, so to see him take over at TCU is, is pretty scary for opposing defenses yeah. uh, 6.4 yards per carry uh, Trey Sanders is the third leading rusher on the team, obviously second team backup or second team running back. What have people seen from him? Um, he was so obviously highly touted. He's running some injuries and things like that. Is it is this going to be the Imani Bailey show on Saturday or is it, are they going to rotate? Yeah, I mean, I think that we will see Trey Sanders um, in specific situations. He's really, really great in short yardage. He's really exceptional in the red zone. He scored three touchdowns against Colorado. And, and if you know Trey Sanders' story, I mean, that was something I think any college football fan should be really excited about. I mean, this is a kid who not only almost lost his career in a car accident, but could well have lost his life. Um, and so it's really incredible to see him back on the football field, um, close to being 100% healthy and, and absolutely moving the right direction. Um, for, for his ability to not just play football, but contribute at a high level. I think what we're learning about him is that he's, he's better situationally than he is kind of as a, he's not, he's not going to be a bell cow. He's not Imani Bailey. That's going to be the guy. He's going to get the most touches. Um, I think we, we, Jamie and I added it up on frogs and cider, but he was on the field for something like 29. Uh, he had 29 reps on Saturday at Houston. He ran the ball, I think uh, 23 of those and he had three receptions. And so if he's on the field, he's getting the ball. And that's mostly because he's absolutely terrible in pass blocking right now and pass pro. So I think if he comes out there, then you could just expect that he's going to he's going to get a touch like they're either running a pass play to him or he's going to be running the ball. Trey Sanders is a little bit better um, in pass pro, but still probably not your, your type A kind of guy. Um, but if you need short yards, um, if you're in the goal line, if you just want to move the chains and you just need to kind of blow a defense uh, defensive line off of its assignment, Trey Sanders is going to do that. He's going to run through people. He's not going to run by people. Um, and so I, I, I want to see that dude on third and short every single time. I want to see him anytime that TCU is in the red zone. It's kind of your, your bell cow number one guy. But Imani Bailey, uh, he can run over people. He can run through people. And he can absolutely run by people. He has been such an incredible weapon for TCU this year. And I think we're all really excited. Uh, he's not Kendra Miller. Kendra Miller was unbelievably special. 
but he has a lot of the same tools. And I think he can be just an effective, just as an effective piece of the offense as, as Miller was a season ago. With the passing game, a lot of options. John Paul Richardson leaving the team and receiving. Uh, I know Jack Jack Besh from LSU. There's a lot of guys. Jared Wiley that I covered as a recruit. Savion Williams was down to SMU and, and TCU. Really felt like um, Dalen Wright's in there. I mean, what what is that group looking like as far as who are the bell cows there and are, are they rotating a lot? Is it the product of having that Nichols game in there? Kind of what's kind of the pecking order of that group? Well. I- I think we're still figuring that out. Um, you know, you, you can talk about depth as a good thing and you talk, can talk about it as a negative thing. And like the defensive line, I think it's a negative thing because you don't have a superstar, but the wide receiver unit, I think it's a really positive thing. That being said, you still kind of need to establish a hierarchy and a pecking order. You know, you need to know who your number one guys are. I think the guy that, that Chandler is most comfortable with is JP. Like I mentioned, these, these guys are roommates. They've probably been throwing together every day for, for the last, you know, six, nine months or whatever, whenever JP arrives in campus. And so that's his safety blanket. That's the guy he knows on a third and short. He knows exactly where he's going to be. I think we're also seeing JoJo Earl, another guy who's an Alabama transfer, who TCU really, really wanted out of high school and ended up coming over a couple years later, but it struggled with some injuries. We're starting to see him come to his own and kind of find his role on that team. Um, but we still need to know who that alpha is going to be. You know, is it Savion Williams, who's the guy everyone kind of has been hoping would be that guy for the last three years, but hasn't really kind of grabbed ownership of that role? Is it uh, Jalen Robinson, who's another transfer, who we're starting to see him kind of heat up? Um, and then you mentioned uh, Dalen Wright, who got he got to camp, I mean, I think two weeks late as a transfer from Minnesota, needed to clear up some academic stuff and take a class. And so, but he's a guy who's unbelievably talented and has the size and the speed to be a real impact player. Um, that being said, I, I don't know who number one's going to be. I don't know who the alpha is. I don't know who who the you know potential all-conference level wide receiver is going to be because we haven't seen that established. I mean, Richardson leads the team with 13 um, receptions, but he's only averaging 11 yards and he doesn't have any touchdowns. You know, um, nobody has more than one single touchdown. I think Jared Wiley needs to be kind of your red zone weapon. I'd love to see him get more involved in the offense because he's such a, a difficult matchup. And I think Jack Besh is a guy they're trying to force into a bigger role. Um, Kendall Bryles ran two jet sweeps for Jack Besh on like someone needs to explain that to me like one I can't can kind of understand the second one like a 13 yard loss and it was weird Uh, like love him and his athleticism at his size but also don't want to be see him running the ball very often Um, so I I think I think Bryles is still trying to figure that out Um, you know I think Chandler's still trying to figure that out and you would hope is you know, you get past the iron skillet and get deeper into conference play ahead of, of when the meat of the schedule really starts, which is uh, a trip to the the Little Apple in Kansas State. By then, I think you really hope that, you know, hey, these are our top three, four guys. And these are the guys we're going to try to force feed the ball to when we need the big play. All right. You asked me this question. I'm going to ask you this. TCU wins if SMU wins if. I think it's really simple. I think TCU wins if the offense executes in the red zone. They're one of the worst college football teams in the red zone this year. They're ranked in the in the hundreds um, right now. They've been very, very ineffective when they've had those scoring opportunities, but they've made up for, for with big plays. Um, but they're going to have to score when they get into the red zone. There's three or four missed field goals already this season, um, even though Griffin Kells also hit like a 57-yarder. Like, explain that to me. But um, but a lot of those have been, have been uh, long field goals because they can't get those important first downs when they get into the scoring range. 
just outside of the red zone, 30 yards in, it's, it's been a real struggle. So they need to convert on those opportunities and not rely just on the big play. Like you said, SMU's defense is much improved this year. You can't just expect to score on 70 yard touchdowns two or three times. And, and you can't expect to move the ball like you did against Houston either. You're going to have to execute when you get those scoring opportunities and finish drives in the end zone. That's going to be the biggest key for them. Um, and I think that the, the turnover battle is the other part of this. Um, SMU is not turning teams over a ton. Um, TC's defense isn't turning them over quite as, as effectively as they did a season ago, but this is still a secondary that can make plays and get picks. Bug Clark had a great pick. Um, Zach Marcelli had a great pick against Houston. Um, if, if you can force a couple turnovers and put Preston uh, Stone in some situations where he's uncomfortable, then I, I think that's kind of going to be the key to success. If SMU wins, um, it's because TC doesn't tackle. Um, it, it's the Colorado formula. I think if this thing is a shootout, um, I like SMU in it. If, if it's a, a lower score, tighter game, um, because TC's defense showed up, then I think the Horned Frogs had the advantage um, because I just think they're a little bit more of a a polished product at this point because of the experience guys got a season ago. Um, but if this thing becomes a free flow and up and down old school, you know, Southwest conference kind of battle, then I think SMU probably comes away with the win. Um, this game has terrified me since before the season. It terrifies me even more after having watched TCU play three games. Um, I, I think SMU has a lot of advantages um, when it comes to individual matchups, but I, I do think that there's a slight edge to TCU as far as being a better overall team, but it's way closer. I, the spread is way too big on this thing. I think this is, this is, I'm going to say it this way. I'm coaching that morning. I have a tournament and I've never been so thankful to not be able to watch a TCU game as I am for Saturday morning. <laughs> the, I will say the home team gets three points. So, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe they, I think I've been like, like eight and a half though. Like that feels it's jumped. Oh my. Wow. I, or maybe seven and a half. I, I've seen anything wow. from like six and a half to eight and a half this week. I, I would, I'd say it's like three and a half. Like I would give TCU the three point home. And, and maybe a half a point there. But this I wouldn't touch this game with a 10-foot pole if I bet on sports, which I don't. I, I, I will say Vegas is really good because I was watching that OU game and SMU's in it. They're, you know, three-point game in the early fourth quarter, I think it was. And all of a sudden, it ended up a 17-point game. It's like, that wasn't a 17-point game, but Fred was <laughs> 16 was. and a half. So Vegas is Vegas for a reason. So yeah. Somebody what, hit the button at Buffalo Wild Wings, right? Yeah. 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 You hit the stop button. What's uh, what's your prediction for the game? We'll get you out of here. I, you know, I, I feel a lot better after watching TCU against Houston than I had at any point this season. After those first two games, I would have told you I thought TCU was going to lose. Um, I, I just – SMU is a much more complete team than they've been in, in any of the last three or four games probably. Um, you know, even, even last year's – um, I think we've seen a big improvement um, with the way that the Mustangs are comprised. And you talked about this when we chatted on Frogs Insider, just the depth at every position and the types of athletes they were able to bring in using the portal and NIL. Um, just looks like a, a on the verge of being a power five team, right? So I think this one's going to be competitive. I think SMU probably wants it more. I, I know this game still matters to TCU players, especially with Sonny Dykes at the helm. He won't let them overlook it, but SMU is absolutely coming in with more juice on Saturday morning. Um, I would hate to see TCU drop this one. I don't want to hear about it. I get enough DMs from um, angry SMU fans. I don't need to give them more fuel to the fire. Um, but I, I am going to say TCU manages to hold on um, just because I, I just I can't pick against them in this rivalry. I would never let myself live that down. But I think it's going to be a very stressful very ugly football game um, with a lot of big broken plays on either side and, and probably a lot of turnovers too. I, I think it's going to be one of those that we just, whoever ends up with holding the skill at the end is just thankful that it's over. Um, so like a, like a, like a 
29-27 TCU win. And there's going to be at least one very, very weird play. Like something weird is going to happen in this game unquestionably. And whichever team benefits from that weird play is going to end up with the win. Well said. I, th- I think we're in for maybe a classic here. So fingers crossed. Yeah. But like a terrible fun, right? classic, like a yeah, Sippos yeah. committee classic. Like this yeah. one's going to get talked about on social media in a way that nobody's happy about. Yeah, exactly. So Melissa, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Tell everybody where you can find uh, your work. You can find me um, at the coach Melissa on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. And the frogs insider pod- podcast is part of the Dave Campbell's public of football network. Awesome. Thanks for joining us on the State of Dallas podcast. We'll see Dallas, Fort Worth doing battle Saturday at 11 a.m. Central on FS1, SMU TCU once again. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That was our guest of the show, Melissa, stopping in to give us some intel on the TCU side of things. So as we roll on here with the State of Dallas podcast, uh, got a couple more things to get to. Melissa covered it well with TCU. Um, I think with SMU, as we turn the channel, in a sense, to kind of looking at the Mustangs, they're coming off a 69 to nothing win over Prairie View A&M. Nothing to write home about, but it was the first shutout for SMU since 2012. So that is a positive for that defense. Uh, Scott Simons talked about it a little bit during our media availability with him this week, and he was just saying, look, it's really hard to do. And as we can see, you kind of get, get games where – Maybe the backups let up a touchdown or maybe a late field goal or pick six with the backups and things like that kind of happen for them to finish the job was really nice. I think just, just another confidence booster, nothing that really gets you, you know, puffing chest out too much. It was Prairie View A&M, but SMU did come away looking pretty sharp. Uh, I'll say they, they did kind of early in the game, give up some yards against Prairie View A&M. They blocked a field goal though, to kind of bounce that back. And uh, it was returned for a touchdown by Chris Meganson. Uh, SMU, their first offensive drive, kind of not perfect, but uh, they were able to capitalize on some penalties, and Jordan Hudson was able to bring in a touchdown uh, to make that one uh, the opening score once again in Ford Stadium. So he clearly loves the early going uh, playing playing in Ford Stadium. It was big for both Jordan Hudson and Jordan Curley to get back out there. SMU uh, did end up... uh, playing both of them. Jordan Curley was hurt in practice earlier that week. Jordan Hudson was nicked up against Oklahoma, but both end up playing, which was nice to see. I mean, Jordan Hudson gets the 15-yard touchdown reception. Then you have Jordan Curley scoring back-to-back touchdowns, a four-yard touchdown reception, which was set up by a 20-yard pickup from Preston Stone to Jordan Curley. And then Curley starts off the second half with a 59-yard touchdown thrown by Preston Stone that came on a nice catch and run. Uh, Broke a tackle and made a move and Uh, made a big play. And then the starters were pulled. Kevin Henry Jennings had an unreal pass uh, down the sideline on an RPO to Joey Bruiser for a 23-yard touchdown. He had a touchdown to Keyshawn Smith before that, which was his first score of his SMU career. And I think for me, uh, SMU accomplished exactly what they really, you know, wanted to with that game. I, I will say they didn't come out of it unscathed. LJ Johnson, uh, one of SMU's key running backs, is questionable for this week's game against uh, TCU. The Texas A&M transfer was nicked up uh, early in that contest, came out, did not return. It sounds like it's an ankle injury uh, per Rhett Lashley. And then they did rest Justin Osborne, and he's probably the biggest question mark as far as will we see him on Saturday against TCU at 11 a.m. SMU's starting right guard was hurt early in that game against Oklahoma, but 
he has been practicing all week. He's been able to uh, go through that, which is good to see if you're an SMU fan. And I think with this staff, they've, they've made it pretty clear. And most staffs are like this. But when you look at SMU and how they practice and they demand their players to practice, getting these guys to go through drills, go through that work um, on the field. And this is earlier tape of Justin Osborne. We'll show you some updated stuff. But uh, that's really important to them. And Jordan Curley, Rhett Lashley kind of talked about this. The the old the old Jordan Curley in a way probably might probably doesn't push through that is what the coaching staff said. But he wanted to get out there and practice and get back out there on the field, and so it was really important for him to do that. And uh, I think when you look at this offensive line with or without Justin Osborne, it can be a big difference. And if SMU can have Justin Osborne for this TCU game, it's really important for that right guard spot. He is just that good. He moves around well this week, kind of been moving around gingerly as you would expect. So he's questionable for this game. We'll see if he can go, but I do think him practicing is a good sign at least that it's a possibility that he gets out there on Saturday. Other than that, SMU will have Nickelback Brandon Crosley available for this one from what Rhett Lashley seemed to indicate. He was held out of last week's game against Prairie View A&M. SMU also suspended running backs Jalen Knighton and Velton Gardner for that game against Prairie View A&M. So again, for SMU to be maybe at full strength with Jalen Knighton and Velton Gardner coming back, that'll help. Maybe if LJ Johnson can't go, that'll kind of help minimize that issue that is created in that running back room with uh, those guys missing. But this week, SMU is you know locked in on TCU. They are really focused in on, on the task at hand, and, and that's winning this battle for the iron skillet, getting back on track in this rivalry after a one-possession loss in Ford Stadium last, last year. Obviously, TCU went on to have incredible success last year playing for a national championship, and with the move to the ACC, with some of the recruiting momentum SMU has, they really want this one to just kind of send that message that they – you know, are taking those steps in the right direction. And I was talking with somebody about this. This is a game for Rhett Lashley that I think means a lot, just in terms of how the program is maybe progressing. And there are and there are very particular ways I kind of want to like word this because last year TCU ends up playing for national championship. Well, SMU played them about as well as anyone outside of Texas and Kansas State. They had a one-possession game. They didn't come out well. They were, you know, down big early on, but they were able to come back and make it a game. And I think for Rhett Lashley, having his team ready to play would be a huge step in the right direction for the momentum with this program because they went last year and beat Tulsa where they haven't done that in a long time. They were able to beat up on Houston with 77 points. They've done some things throughout his tenure that has been positive. They finished really strong last year. Now this is the time where they need to take that next step and win an iron skillet. That would be huge, again, for the momentum of the program and just showing that it is heading in that right direction. I also want to say, if SMU were to drop this one and go on to win a conference championship, that is still a very, very big step in the right direction for this program long-term. And it's what you want to see. But if they don't, 
it's it's again missed opportunity. But in terms of the the vacuum of this week, which is SMU TCU week, this program needs this win. And they've continued to get it done on the recruiting trail and NIL with transfers, but they have to be able to take this next step, beat Sunny Dykes in Fort Worth. And that would really, one, set a lot of TCU people off, which SMU would love to do, but they really need to just emphasize that they are this program that is going to the ACC. They are not here to mess around anymore. They're here to be a championship winning football team. And I think if this team can get this win in Fort Worth, they can take that confidence and do what they want to in conference play, which is roll through it and get to an AAC championship game. So I've got SMU winning this one 31-28, 31-27, something like that. I think for me, and Melissa said it earlier in the podcast, look at the red zone issues for TCU. Look at that lack of maybe finish for touchdowns at times for SMU in the red zone. Building off of the ability to finish drives last week, again, it was Prairie View A&M, but building off of that confidence and that ability to actually do it is critical to SMU maybe taking this that next, that next step and beating TCU in the red zone, which is going to be a critical factor of the game. If SMU can't bow up defensively and stop TCU and they're able to you know, have success in the red zone, scoring touchdowns, which is something they haven't done much of this season, that's maybe not a red flag for the conference because it is a conference that's pretty down, but it's it, it would be disheartening. You know, this is a defense that has been completely revamped. They are athletically, physically, uh, discipline-wise, very much improved. They're top 40 in yards per play. They are top 25, I believe, right now in yards per game. I like the yards per play a little bit more, but they are much improved. They need to show that improvement and slow down this TCU offense that if you've kind of followed them, they've got talent. They've got pieces. They haven't put it together as well as they can in terms of the whole package. They had turnovers against Colorado. They had red zone issues against Houston. They kind of started to look like themselves a little bit more. So what TCU offense are you going to get? Is Chandler Morris going to take over and do his thing? That's going to be a big question too. But I think this is maybe a little bit more of a lower scoring iron skillet, 31-28, 31-27, but I've got the Mustangs winning it um, in Fort Worth on Saturday. So be sure to check out on theponyexpress.com for way more coverage on the SMU Mustangs and also continue to hit that subscribe button to the State of Dallas podcast, part of the Dave Campbell's Texas football family, the Republic of Football podcast network. One quick note here, SMU did pick up a commitment on the recruiting trail from 2024 DeSoto linebacker, Brandon Booker. He was a one-time Baylor and one-time Stanford commit, but now he's staying home to play for the Mustangs. He's one of the top linebackers in the country. He has offers from all over. He's a state champion. He's one of my favorite kids out there that I've kind of covered in the DFW area. Um, known him now a couple of years, which is pretty crazy to think about. But uh, he really has that speed that SMU likes at its linebacker group. Um, he made a couple hits last year that I saw in person that are high-level hits. And so for SMU to get him on board, that moved their class up a little bit more in the ACC ranks as well. They now have nine commitments, and we'll see who else SMU can bring in on the recruiting trail. But that's one final note for you guys as we close out this edition of 
the State of Dallas podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate Melissa for stopping in. And we will catch you next week with another edition of the State of Dallas podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week.